Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very special guest. His name is Bill Sturley, and he's a communication expert who has been working with executives, individuals, and businesses for over 33 years. Bill provides powerful techniques to help people and organizations to communicate more effectively. Bill provides participants a greater understanding of personal thinking strengths, emotional intelligence tools, and importantly, the practical ways to communicate more effectively. And that's why I think Bill is very important in this day and age in his message and how he communicates. Welcome, Bill. Thanks so much. I feel delighted to be here and looking forward to the conversation. Thank you. Now, how did you get interested in such a complex area as communication? Well, I, I'm glad you asked that question. It's, uh, it's the thing that is so important to follow the questions that kind of bug us and jostle us the most. And for me, it was three questions. What, one was, why do people think the way they do? And second is, why do people behave the way they do? And the third question is, why do people believe things and how does the person's belief affect their thinking and their behaving? And somehow by following those three questions, the, the question regarding thinking and behaving and believing, it, it led me into this uh, uh, communication expertise that, that I've uh, really put together some really nice tips and tricks and, and important thoughts that make a big difference in people's lives. And, and I just can't wait to share it with everybody today. Fantastic. So let's, let's dive in then, you know, let's suppose you have two groups that are having problems communicating with each other. They may be uh, a marriage couple, or they might be a, uh, a union negotiating with a company, or they might be two countries trying to communicate with each other and not seeing eye to eye and not discussing the things that are relevant. How do you start this process and how do you get to the business of communication? Because these are people at very adverse relationships. They are at different ends of the spectrum. They are totally far away from each other and they're not communicating. Well, I really appreciate that. We, we do have some troubling time right now, uh, especially from the, the country perspective is where one country might be trying to meet their need for respect and another country is meeting their need for independence or freedom. And it's very, very challenging because those two look, those two things look very different to, to both sides. If somebody's trying to get respect and recognition or 
they say, no, this is the way we see the world. And the other person's going like, you know, uh, the way you see the world doesn't allow me freedom or independence. And uh, that, that can be really problematic and people can fight and go to war over things like that. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, we all know that in a war, the first victim is truth. And that, that's always the problem that goes on there. And, yeah. uh, you know, no one wins in a war, even though somebody thinks they do. No one wins in the war. There is always devastation. There's always destruction. And there are also human lives that are affected in ways, both on a physical and emotional level, that do never come back to the way that they were before. It, it takes a lot of healing and restoration after uh, the war is over, after everything is signed. It's not a clean break of, oh, now this is over. And therefore, <laughs> you know, we're all right now. Uh, we have a good winner and good loser. Um, uh, human beings struggle in this space because um, so much of our identity and self-worth has to do with measuring things. Uh, one group is better than another group. Uh, one more group is more powerful than another group and, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and yet there are some simple steps that we could take communication wise to stop getting people to be adversarial. And I'm pointing two fingers at each other for those who are just listening, but how do you get people to walk side by side instead of at each other? And that's what communication can do is it can turn them to be, you know, ones that are allies with each other instead of ones that are adversaries of each other. And it um, uh, once that uh, turn is made, then people can be more collaborative and cooperative. But until that turn is made, it's my identity versus your identity, my self-worth versus your self-worth, my respect versus your respect. And then it doesn't really tend to go very well. It's uh, who is going to be the person that's going to force the other person's will on the will of another person. Yeah. And, and that's not a strong way to go. Collaboration and cooperation is really the strongest path, but a lot of times people don't see that as a viable path because um, as soon as we're being cooperative, the person just seems like that they just want to take more and they don't know when to stop. So, so we do have a little bit of work there to do because I mean, there's some, you know, primary things in communication that we can do to, to get people to start talking to each other better. And that's huge. So let's go back, back this up a little bit. Have you had training in the area of communication? Did you actually get training in it? Did you learn from others? Or is, I, is this area you had to learn all yourself? I, I had three very, very good mentors that provided uh, communication on th those three things. The, the ability to think differently in the communication that's associated with thinking. So, so engineers use a different set of vocabulary than social workers do. It's a good idea to know what words they're using, because if you get a social worker and engineer in a room together and they start talking to each other, their words and their phrases are going past each other. They're, 
they're not even understanding the definition of words they're using sometimes, or they're using an alternative definition or, and that more fits what their belief is the same with an artist. And, you know, let's say a police officer, they're using different vocabularies. They're, they're operating in different frequencies and different vocabulary words. And that training that I got from mentor number one, allowed that discernment, that distinctions to say, I know what to say when I'm talking to an engineer and get getting the engineer to talk to the social worker is using these phrases and sentences that they can appreciate and understand. And how can I get this uh, artist or entrepreneur to talk to this administrator or a police officer? That's a different set of words and phrases to get those different people to talk with each other. And, and like uh, you and I are talking right now, we're speaking in a very general way, but specifically it's going to be, is a person more interested in facts or are they more interested in connection? Is a person more interested in ideas and concepts or are they more interested in order and structure? And just as I just peeled those four different pieces apart and use those four different sets of words, it's, um, it uh, illuminates the tension of the opposite, that there's not a right way to do it or a wrong way to do it. There is different paths to communicate towards uh, uh, a speaking piece and also communicating a way that's going to create a greater, you know, connection and, um, uh, ability for the person to listen to us. Okay. So those are, those are the basic frameworks that we're going to be getting into in a lot more depth in the next little while. Uh, the basic framework is how do people think, why do people believe, behave in the way they do? And how does a person beliefs affect the world? Yes. Let's start with the first one of those. Why do people think the way they do? Well, this is really interesting because there's a certain wiring that we come in with. There's a certain amount of genetics or leaning towards what our mind is coming into. Some, some kids, you know, love playing Legos and some kids love playing with dolls. You know, some kids love and playing with tanks and some kids love just drawing thing. And they'll, if you give them a crayon, they will draw on every wall in the house if, if you let them because they're in that artistic mindset. And that first thinking piece is, is so essential to go, what kind of kid do I have? And what is their natural tendency to doing this? Lego thing or this tank thing or this uh, Barbie doll thing or this um, uh, or this creative thing and and what kind of blending of this person's skills and strengths am I seeing and you know in front of me? Yeah. I, I've heard that people uh, learn from three different modalities. Some people learn visually, some people learn auditorily. And some people learn from kinesthetics. Is that the way you find them as well? Uh, that's a part of it. Um, there's the um, the 
uptake of information about how people learn might um, in the gentr all of those things work as well as there might be a focus on fact and another group has a focus on connection. There, there's groups of people that don't learn very well unless they are sharing information with another person. They, they do better in the pairing of sharing information, and then they create a learning anchor that takes place. And then it is able to sync where somebody can just read a book and they, they have the information right there. They might not necessarily be apply it or share it to others very well, but they have the factual information and knowledge. And, and then, like you said, the visual piece is one person. And then some people learn really well by just having the um, repetition and the habit and the step-by-step -step unfolding of the topic. They learn much better that way. So there is a blending of the things that you had mentioned, the auditory and kinesthetic, but there's also the blending of what, what, um, what their point of view is and what their uh, truth perspective is about how they see the world. Well, that's very important. And I think those are the ways that you start to figure out the puzzle. That's where you start to figure out where you can make a common grounds. By understanding where people are coming from, I think you can understand where people are going through. Is that not right? That's that's right. You want to find out where their perspective is coming from, where their truth perspective is. And, and by listening to vocabulary and certain word choices is the big thing I teach my coaching clients is, you know, that listen for the perspective. This is the sentence they, they asked uh, for and the one they spoke. Here is the best way to get their ears to listen and the quickest way to see uh, to experience that you've been been heard is to check in to see if message sent is message received now that is tip number one is message sent message received making sure the the sender is not just speaking you as the sender, but make sure that the person's ears are open. Now, um, this next thing takes a little bit of patience and a little bit of um, empathy or compassion for the listener. Because most of the time, like you and I are talking right now, our listeners are thinking on top of our speaking. They're trying to see where what we're saying fits with their world. So the quickest way to check to see if the listener is really following us is to ask this question, which is, would you be willing to tell me what you have heard me say? Yeah, now, that's a this pretty is, important question. It's a very simple question, simple but sometimes question. hard to answer. It is sometimes hard to answer because we are uh, listening, uh, thinking on top of the person speaking. So would you be willing to tell me what you've heard me say? By asking that question, you've got to be ready for the answer to come back. Monkeys eat glue. Like nothing is even close to what you said. Now with kids, this is like a guaranteed question to make sure message sent is message received. So I've, I, I pop my head into the room of my 10 year old and say, Hey, Tristan, would you be willing to pick your clothes off the floor and put them in the basket so I can do the laundry? 
and then say, would you be willing to tell me what you've heard me say? This is literally what he said. Yeah, I got it. You want me to clean my room? I said, thank you. I have more. I need the clothes in the basket so I can do the laundry. That's what I need. I do not need your room cleaned because he escalated it up. He thought on top of it and says, dad wants me to clean my room. I do not want him to clean his room. I want those clothes in the basket so I can wash them. So I, it took me three runs to get him to say that. So Tristan, thank you. I said, I said, thank you. I have more. And why am I thanking him? Because he answered my question. Would you be willing to tell me what you heard me say? You heard me. He didn't hear me. He did zero. He, he, so I'm thanking him. I, he told me exactly. He answered my question perfectly. <laughs> so then I've got to take another shot at it. It says, listen, see the clothes there? I need the clothes clean and I need the clothes in the basket. Can you just tell me that part? Oh, oh, so you want me to clean up my room and throw the clothes in the basket? I'm going like, oh my gosh, thank you. I have more. I need the clothes in the basket so I can do your laundry. Oh, is that all you want? He got up off the computer and, and put the things in and then we were off and running, you know, but it took a few runs because he, as a young person, is formulating language. Older adults, what they're doing is they're trying to find, uh, take your message and make it an associative of something that's already familiar to them. They're trying to take what you say and make it fit with, a fit with, with, with what they already know. And yeah. so that's why asking the question, um, uh, would you be willing to tell me what you've heard me say is so valuable and then be ready to be patient that the person's ears and mind were not in the place to listen because I can ruin the relationship very easy with Tristan and says, Hey, I'm your father. You should listen to what I'm saying. The answer is that moment was passed a long time ago. <laughs> he's not even thinking in that, in that world thing. He's in his world. He's not in my world you know, or with my expectation. And, and just because he was born, doesn't mean he was born to listen to everything I said. He's, he has his own ears, you know, and his own mind that he, that I've got to cultivate. Yeah. So and, and to him, you were somebody that was interloping on his space at that time. Correct. You were trying to divert him from a task that he wanted to participate in far more than stopping and picking up his clothes, you know? Yeah, exactly. So your very question was <laughs> something that was not something he wanted to hear at that moment. No, it's, it wasn't even a part of his worldview. See, the, 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 the biggest challenge is that one of the biggest challenges, and that's kind of like a second talking point I have, is mind reading is overrated. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that love taking the guess I know what you're thinking sentence where the most efficient way to go about it and imagine what it would be like if people just checked in, Hey, listen, I'm thinking you're thinking that, are you thinking that, <laughs> you know, check in to see if, if somebody is mind reading, you know, or, or you're mind reading with them, check in to see what's going on inside them. And, and listen, I, I have this thought about what you might be thinking. You're, you know, you're wearing a jacket. That must mean you are a successful, you know, business person or a doctor or something, but because you have a jacket, 
but that mind reading is not very helpful. <laughs> no. You've got to, you've got to check in to see, you know, where the person is, is and what they're listening to and what their range of experiences and, and just be really, really patient with that because it, mind reading is truly overrated, you know? So, so, so when, when it comes down to things and, and quite often you have to put down a list of objectives and a list of, of things that a, one group wants and maybe another list of objectives the other group wants and maybe a list of things they would like to see and then go from there. Well, that's one of the things that I think that'd be really good to go over is what are the list of things and those lists of things. And we can talk about the two categories. The list of things could be the category of needs. And the other list is a category of requests, those two lists. And I think that uh, imagine what it would be like if you, if you knew what the need that you were going for your motive, and then and we could come up with a lot of examples of this. So that's one of the things we can share with the audience too, and pull the curtain back and show how to get those two things apart from each other. Because once they're apart from each other and you know what the need and the request is, it language and, and the conflict will return, reduce either one third or two thirds of conflicts evaporates once you get those two things in those two different columns. So, so I'll show you how to, I'll show you how to separate those two things and the audience to let's do that. Let's go to that, uh, Bill. Let's, let's go and see uh, how we separate those two, two categories and two, two things. Okay. So let's uh, take a look at the needs category. So let's suppose we have a couple and one of the, um, uh, one of the partners uh, uh, thinks that, you know, uh, I want to do something in partnership tonight, and I have a need for connection. That's the need, connection, and partnership. And my request is to sit on the couch, make some popcorn, and watch a movie together with my partner. The need is connection. The request is movie, popcorn, couch. <laughs> okay, so now... Just to keep that clean, then all of a sudden, if you start a, a communication narrative with, listen, I really have a need for connection and I'd like to spend some time with you. I have a request that we watch a movie and have popcorn and uh, you know, spend time together. The other partner can then say, oh, I hear you have a need for connection. I hear what your request is, a movie, but I kind of been sitting all day. I would like to meet the need for connection by walking around the park or walking a lake or, you know, going, you know, uh, going out, out to dinner with you, not to stay inside. I'd like to move around a little more. See, the need is still connection. The strategy is the request. Our society has collapsed those two things together. If you keep them apart, what is the need? And then what is the request? What happens is the, the discussion is about how to meet the need, not necessarily to fulfill the request the way one person would like it. We want to make mm -hmm. sure that the mutual connection is over here. What, what does connection look like? And then the strategy then can be 
collaborated upon. You know, yeah, and, and, that's and huge. it is huge. That, that's huge. That's huge because that is how you get to a common ground on different situations because requests are are flexible you know they they are something that can be one of a dozen or two dozen different things but that's the right. needs are something that have to be met that's right the needs are have to be something met now the the delightful part about this is is that as soon as you start using the word request in your vocabulary in front of things that you would like the less pushback you'll get from the listener because they won't hear it as a demand because you stuck it as a request to begin with. I have a request to sit on the couch with popcorn and watch a movie. That's my request. Whether you're honor it or not, well, I'm not fully attached to it. I'm, I'm like 60% or 70% or maybe even 80% there. But I'm still open to get connection between you and I, and that movie looks good, but I'll take dinner. I'll take a, I'll take a walk around the park. I'll take a swim in the lake. I'll do whatever you like, but just so I can get the connection I would like. Yeah. So how many needs do you uh, find in situations? Are they infinite? Are, are no, they-, they are not infinite. This is the good news. There are most of the time people run their interpersonal narrative, the software that human beings run from is um, about somewhere between 20 to 40 words of these different needs that were exchanging places there. But most of the time people are running with 10 words at the top of their list. Have you ever had a person that has used a word more than once when they're in an argument, like the word fairness. This is not fair. This is not fair that this company did this. Or another person might say, this person's not respecting me. I should get respect for the title. This. What respect looks like, this is the, the need that is running their life that they don't know about, that they it's like it's unfulfilled and it's like a thorn they've been trying to pull out since they were like 10 years old. Cause you know, fairness is a kind of a 10 year old need. You just think of 10 year olds arguing over fairness. This is not fair. <laughs> it's not fair, but you have all the cookies. I know I wanted all the cookies. That's what's fair. It's like, that's not fair. <laughs> it's a, the, the, the definition of fairness is not quite there yet. <laughs> you know, so it's not quite formulated. You know, so uh, that's important, Bill. And I, I think by talking and concentrating on needs and responses are very important. And those two things will level the playing field and increase communication. Yes. Any place from one third to two thirds of situations, just by clearly, clearly defining those things. And yes. getting those ahead of any communication incidents that you're yeah. into. You know, and, and as soon as somebody grabs on to a need and holds it too tight, and like they only think it could get, be met one way, because they, let's suppose a person says, I have certainty about this because this is what I read in a medical textbook 20 years ago, and I have certainty about it. 
well, have they ever explored any changes in the last 20 years? <laughs> and the answer is no, no. I, you know, I went back, you know, I got my degree and I worked really hard and I got an A on the test. Do you think that there might've been a little bit more research that you might've want to look to do? Do you think there might be a little bit of variation that might've taken place? Now, what about responses? How many responses are there? I bet you there's more responses than there are needs. Yeah, I mean, uh, if if I have a need for connection, let's uh, with somebody, I can meet that need for connection in multiple different ways. Uh, if I have a need for fairness, I can meet that uh, the request for what fairness would look like. I can meet that in in a few different ways. Um, the whole reason why we want to separate needs and requests and making the response. Um, um, uh, have a line between the two of them is because our world has um, uh, cultivated us to hear things as a demand that we have to do things. So instead, by once we change it as a request to do things, we get better listening, we get better cooperation, we get better discussions because it the thing, the way we're saying it is doesn't it doesn't sound like a demand. It sounds like that we are in relationship with them. And once you make a request, you're introducing one of the top needs human beings have, which is the need for choice. Human beings definitely have a need for choice. They want to choose whether it's real or imagined. That's important too. Choice, choice is really at the top of the list and the top 10 needs of many, many people. So we want to speak to choice. What's that? That's important choice. Choice. Because people do want to be able to choose. And if it's taken away from them, that's when they get very angry. They do. They do. Anger is uh, the judgment is, is uh, nobody's going to tell me what to do. And in, uh, in, uh, with these tools, we talk about choices, not providing a person choice, but inquiring to them what choice looks like to them, what might be the choices they might be thinking of. So now all of a sudden it sounds like, listen, I really have a, I have really a need for connection with you. And I think that there might be some choices that we can make. How about the couch and the popcorn and the movie? Well, I also have a need for choice. How about the walk and a picnic at the lake? That's another kind of choice. Gosh, I'm not sure if I'd like that choice. I'd like the choice of a romantic dinner. That would meet the need for connection. Okay, what kind of food? Well, our choices are, see the, the need for choice is in front of the conversation and it's literally creating collaboration and, and cooperation between the two speakers and the two listeners. And that's where really it's um, it's so, so valuable to stay out of the the demand or the or the uh, or the energy of that. You have to do something. It's not as it's not as uh, powerful. Yeah. And that that's rather important. And that that is important as well. So let's go into your second point, And that is why do people behave the way they do? That's another big bugaboo for people and another thing that causes conflict in a lot of situations. 
Right. And that allows us to introduce a very important word that is the word feeling. So feeling or emotion, emotion is to put something into motion. So behavior. Now I get to work the opposite end of the equation. So the need is what's causing us to do something. The feeling tells us if we are getting the need met or not getting the need met. So for example, if I said, gosh, Alan, I really feel tired and I really have a need for rest. And um, this interview is causing me to work and I feel tired and I need rest, but I'm going to choose to meet my need for rest after dinner at five o'clock, all of a sudden I'm invigorated a little bit because I'm telling my body when I am going to meet my need for rest. Even though I might've had a long day, I've talked to a bunch of people, blah, blah, blah. And I'm doing this interview. I am now centered around how can I get my need met? And my emotion is telling me it's when it's met, when is it going to be met? And if it's not met, one of the primary communication belief changes that's so needed in this world is that there's no such thing as a good feeling or a bad feeling. There's no such thing as a positive feeling or a negative feeling. The new belief that will cause peace and greater listening to take place is the belief is feelings are only indicators. It tells us that a need is being met or not being met. When I wake up in the morning, I feel energized because my need for rest was met by the way I slept. At the end of the day, I feel tired because I have a need for rest that needs to be met before I go to sleep. I am creating language congruency with my body. So if something is bugging me, there's nothing wrong that's going on. My body is working perfectly, perfectly. My language or my environment is giving me things that is affecting my needs. And if I speak that out loud, it might sound like this. Hey, listen, I'm feeling frustrated. I need some support. Would you be willing to take the dishes and put them from the sink into the dishwasher? That's my request. Support is the need. Feeling irritated, <laughs> aggravated, frustrated. Support looks like putting it in the dishwasher. That's what support looks like. Would you be willing to do that? Or could you tell me what's getting in the way of doing that? I need to know <laughs> so that maybe you can support me in a different way. So this relationship between a feeling and a need is so valuable. And it's, it's not talked about in our society that much to really talk about it th this way. Yeah. And I, I think that's important. And I think that's how you can possibly overcome some of the misunderstandings that are going on and some of the things that seems to be getting in the way of misunderstandings and getting in the way of communication. Boy, I really appreciate that because the, um, 
just to know, just to get the experience that um, you don't have to hear the word no ever again. Now, I just, I just said something really important there. <laughs> You sure just, did. Just you don't have to hear you the sure word did. no. What do you mean that a person doesn't have to? You don't need the word no ever again. You know, you, uh, uh, I'm going to say this and try not to laugh too hard. No is a poorly expressed yes. Now all of a sudden the listeners are going like, "What the heck is going on here?" Yeah, no is a poorly expressed yes. It's no is telling because the person that's saying no is saying yes to something else. So if I said, hey, I need $50,000 to invest, the person says no. Well, what they're saying yes to is they're saying yes to spending the money in other places is what they're doing. I choose to spend the money in other places. And I got to find the good reason why they're spending the money in the other places, because otherwise it's not, you know, it's not worth getting the money from them if they if it's not something that they're really fully willing about, you know, have you, and you and I both know, and we've even done it ourselves. We've said yes to things that we have regretted in the past. We got yes. talked into it. We started listening to somebody a little longer than we needed to. <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't access our ability to use language to say, yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. So how do we say the word no without saying the word no? And this is very, very powerful tip. The way to say no without saying no is to exercise and use the word choose or choice inside uh, our response. Hey, jump in the car. You know, I'll give you a ride home. Hey, listen, I'm going to choose to get a ride home a little bit later. I'm going to choose to do this. Meanwhile, you're not getting, jumping in the car with the drunk guy. You know, <laughs> you're not jumping in, but you don't sit, you don't have to say no to the person because then they'll just insist. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, I, I haven't drank too much. Yeah. Listen, I'm going to choose to get a ride home in another way. I'm going to choose to have somebody pick me up. I think I'm going to choose to hang around a little bit longer. Now, it's choice is the great leveler of the word no. So choice is the subtext of the word no. No is a binary word. Choice is a flexibility word. So we our utilization of choice can really make a big difference. We can still stay in relationship and connection with the person. And the, the person doesn't have to you know, kind of gnaw at us by, you know, trying to pepper us with, come on, come on do this. And, and instead we just say, listen, I'm going to choose to get a ride home with somebody else. I'm going to choose to, um, I don't, I don't think this is a good choice for me. This is not a good fit for me. And um, uh, yeah, this is something I really don't want to choose to do. The word ch choice is like a, a bucket of water on whatever fire they're cooking over there, even in very many violent situations that there is, the word choice when used can really calm down the level of uh, violence or conflict uh, because you're, you're getting the other person in touch with that they're robbing somebody else of choice. And people don't like to do that to each other, even if it's, even if it's in a violent situation. Understandable. 
So yep. we've, we've got a couple of other things that we'd like to cover. And I'm going to need a short answer for this. Sure. And then we'll go and keep on this after our break. And that is, how does a person's beliefs affect their world? Because beliefs are some of those things that are very hard to get into. Boy, I really appreciate the, the question regarding beliefs. Beliefs are very valuable to us for hum, as human beings. And the reason why is they meet a primary need of ours, which is certainty. A belief creates a form of calmness in us because we don't have to think about it anymore. We have a certainty in it. And that's one of the reasons why beliefs are also hard to change because we have a form of certainty. I've, I have committed to this belief. I am interested in this is the way the world is because it prevents me from thinking about all this, these other variables over here. I just, I'm just sticking with these beliefs right now. And it meets certainty and stability and predictability if I just stay with the belief that I, I, brought, I was brought in with. You know, I'm staying with those beliefs about the world and I don't have to question or rethink something. And um, you can see that this is very problematic in many professions. If, if a, if a, um, a lawyer or a doctor or uh, a school teacher has a belief about something and they think that their way is right because that was the belief, well, there's, there's like a problem because the person is not flexible to see that there might be a different answer or a new possibility. And, um, and that's why beliefs are important is that, that they stabilize us as human beings. So right? how do you go about changing a false belief or, or possibly getting a person to realize their belief is false? So this is a huge, con, a huge tip and a huge concept for people to get a hold of. And it comes down to this one sentence, empathy before problem solving and facts. Empathy before problem solving and facts. A fact will not change a belief, even if it's true. This is so hard for people to hear, but it just doesn't. The fact does not change the belief, but empathy will. If the person gets a sense that I'm trying to understand, clarify what their belief is, seeing the good reason why that belief is in place, why the emotion is built around that belief and how precious that is to them for stability and certainty, they will be willing to budge off of the belief, but they've got to get a sense that I'm on their side, at least by hearing it, I'm on their side to say, I can see where that meets your need for stability. When you say the earth is flat, I see that that has been something that you and your community really believes because the way the information that you've been looking at. And they say this, yeah, it's interesting how you see that that way. And you really feel committed to that belief because you only trust what your eyes can see. Isn't that right? Yes. <laughs> now, 
people are thinking right now, oh my God, I don't want to take that long. But really what you're doing is you're actually shrinking the conversation because you're just being a part of their truth perspective. You're being a part of the thing that has caused them to build community or stability around a belief. You want to bring them a greater form of empathy and compassion for where they are rather than saying, listen, we've got all these measurement instruments and this is how satellites fl fly around the world. And this is how the, what we've noticed this and this, and here's all the evidence of this. The, the beliefs will regrettably, they truth is overrated here. You can't do truth before you do empathy. And it, I've been in so many mediations and so many high conflict situations. If I try to argue <laughs> with one side or the other, it just gets worse. It gets longer. It's, it's, it's a rougher road than just going like, yeah, you really feel passionate about this belief. And you'd really, you really want to commit to that it's safe for kids in school. You want to commit to that certain information is uncomfortable for you to think about. And you really would like schools to avoid that information. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering how, you know, how this information is going to work with this other information. How would we best do that? And now you're gently turning them to become an ally. I wonder what it's going to look like. What would your, what's your recommendation? How would you replace or teach this subject matter? How would you deal with this? How do you think it's something that should be, you know, done this way or that way? Is that what you're thinking? You know, and in the, in the, in the belief structure, what's happening is the person then starts to consider there might be a better way to get there from, you know, me having to fight this hard. And then, then the spirit of collaboration or cooperation can kind of peek its head up and go like, well, I guess we could talk about it this way, or we, this is the way I would see to do it. And, and they, there's a certain amount of participation that goes with it. So step number one, empathy before problem solving and facts. That is, makes a big, big difference. So, so we've been talking, Bill, about a lot of things today. We've talked about why people think the way they do. We talked about why people behave the way they do. And we talked about beliefs and how they can affect the world and how you can affect people and how you can start to get people to change their beliefs by having some empathy before you get into any other things like facts or, or any other things in, in changing that belief. So are there some key tenets in the communication model that you use that people can take home and start to use maybe tomorrow to, to, to make the communication process a bit easier. Maybe boil it down to three or five things that people can start to use. Well, the first thing on the top of my list is, um, is be ready to reduce the amount of judgmental language you use and replace that with observational language. That would be the first one that I would recommend to the listener. So instead of saying who spilt the milk on the table, which is a judgmental sentence, we've got all kinds of problems with it. You're going to get immediate pushback and everybody's going to deny that they did it. <laughs> 
But if you ask it this way, it's like, I feel curious. I see milk that is on the table. Would somebody be willing to support me by bringing me a rag? I'm going to get greater compliance than to go after blame or judgment or criticism of who spilt what, where I just want support to clean up the spill. So first step, get better at replacing judgment with observation. The second thing is, is that, is that making sure that when somebody is speaking, that we hear them. And the best way to get a talkative person to be quiet is to say this sentence, hold on one moment. I want to make sure that I've heard you correctly. And then repeat the last seven to 13 words they've said. Did you say this this way? Yes. It's like they've been heard for the first time. They were about to run, you know, 40 to 60 words, you know, <laughs> to try to fill up your ears. But the good part of this last one, hold on one moment. Let me make sure what I've heard you, what you've said fully, you can cut them off 20 to 40 words in and they will stop on a dime. They will stop talking. And the reason why they're stopping to talk is because you're genuinely trying to hear what they said. And you have a knowingness that if they go on much further, you're not going to, you're not going to listen to them anyway. So you're saving their life as well as your own life by saying, hold on one moment. I want to make sure I've heard what you've said fully. And they will stop on a dime and say, and then you say, yes, you would like me to hear that you really felt frustrated because so-and-so really didn't consider you the way you, yes. Oh my gosh. Nobody understands me the way you do. <laughs> and so, so these, a, a couple of these tips that we've went over today, the message sent message received mind reading is overrated you know, empathy before problem solving facts will facts will never override somebody's truth perspective, but empathy will message sent message and, and then get, and then get the dialogue to repeat some things back. So the person then provides space between the listener and the, um, and the, uh, the listener and the speaker. Okay. So we're going to give one little special thing before we leave here. And that's the secret biology of emotion. We're going to throw that out to our listeners so that they can have one more thing to understand about this communication process. Ooh, the biology of emotion without going into a dissertation, I'm going to yeah. keep it nice and clean. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the best way to think about it is this, is that um, our, our words, our vocabularies have a frequency to them. And this frequency hits our ears and activates a need of ours in our body, which then changes our emotional state. So if I say ice cream, people's biology will start to change as soon as I say, what's your favorite ice cream? And there's a bowl with two scoops right in front of you right now. 
the subconscious mind goes like, really? It's there? I guess it's there. I better get ready for it being there. It actually moves into the direction. The same things like with words like respect or fairness or consideration or choice or financial security as a, as a need or the need for stability and shelter. Those are the ice cream that goes with our biology inside our body. We want fulfillment, meaning, purpose in our lives, our own identities. We want to be able to get a better handle on what our life's directions are. And between this conversation, I'm hoping that those words are landing on the listener to think, I've got a few things to learn to get some more of my needs met. And this will allow their emotion to be motivated to say, the molecules of emotion in my body feel better by listening and speaking this way. And our biology changes, our dopamine rises, our serotonin stabilizes, our cortisol and adrenaline starts dropping. We don't need it as much. We still have fight in us because we have our passion, but otherwise arguments will tend to, you know, be limited and, uh, and productive at the same time. Yeah, that's huge. You know, choosing the words people use in their vocabulary, choosing the ways they communicate uh, are frequently underestimated as means of conflict resolution. Yes. Our body's listening. You know, people think if you just say something, the body's not, the body's listening. Your your subconscious brain is listening to what you're saying. It's and the other person's listening too, and they're and and they're assigning words or phrases or thoughts in your direction. So you want to pick good words so that they you know they're able to uh, increase the quality of connection and and cooperation between you and another person. And that helps in all areas of life, whether personal or professional or financial is that if you want to develop trust, meet another person's needs and they'll, they'll trust you a lot, (laughs) but you've got to also pursue it. Not just say, Oh, I'll do it for you. No, you got to like find out what their need is and what their request is and then deliver the request and watch what happens. Well, Bill, you know, our time has flown by today. It has been a very productive hour, and I've learned a lot about communication, and I'm sure our listeners have. So how can people find out more about your world and uh, your stuff that you have to offer? So the best way is through my website, which is BillSterley.com, which is spelled S-T-I-E-R-L-E. And on there, um, and also I think we can put a link in for the five safest sentences if we want to, the five safest sentences to say during a conflict. And that's a nice example or an article about things that you can say when there's an upset that takes place. And And if you put that, we'll put that on our page of of information so everybody can get that. So it'll be very useful for them. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the best way to reach me, and uh, uh, feel free to you know reach out, and I'll be glad to uh, help through conflicts and ways to communicate better in both in both personal and 
and professional uh, settings. So I, I've worked well, in thank both you, of those Bill. spaces. Thank you for this today, and I thank you for your wealth of information. I'm sure our listeners will love it and be in touch with you when they need you. Uh, Alice, it's been a great pleasure to, to visit with you and to, to share this information. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope to talk to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. Fantastic day.